0: The following is a recorded sermon delivered by Elder Steve Jackson on Sunday, October 4th, 2020, Fort Smith, Brethren Baptist Church, 2201 South Houston Street, Fort Smith, Arkansas. I um, pray that he and all others afflicted by it would be delivered quickly, swiftly, and that the Lord God of Heaven would eradicate this this dreaded pandemic Then. Is oppressing his people in some way, I'm sure will redound to his glory and his honor. I anticipate great things ahead in the interventions of God, in the hearts and lives of his people and his churches, communities, and our families. I anticipate that God has some amazing things in store for us. Last night in our services with the brethren at Madeira, you know, we're speaking to a group of people that, is, that have been breathing smoke for weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months. 312,000 acres on fire at present, I believe. Northern California, and that doesn't count all of the other fires that have ravaged the state. These brethren have been locked into their homes. The governor there has kept them on a more strict protocol for avoiding the spread of this thing, not being able to meet, I don't believe, with more than 10 people in a room. Many businesses still shut down, people just being locked in for the good and advancement of public health. I suspect doing the best that they can. But then on top of that, the fire and the smoke and everything else, people losing their homes, businesses, everything just being burnt and torched. You know there has to be a heavy heartedness going on to, the, to our brethren in California. I'd say let's continue to pray for them as well. And the only way that we can make it through situations like this is through God's power, His grace, and His glory, and His comfort, which He's promised us. His promise, His glory, and His protective watch care over us. So this morning, my thoughts are still on. 1 Samuel chapter 5, I alluded to it last weekend, referring to the idol, the false god, Dagon. And so we'll just begin reading the first few verses of chapter 5, 1 Samuel. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So what had occurred here was there was a battle between the Philistines and the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were being overtaken by the Philistines, the soldiers being overthrown by them and they fled, they abandoned the Ark of God and the Philistines ended up with it. Notice that, they fled and abandoned the Ark of God. God forbid that we would ever abandon God's beloved bride, his church, that we would ever abandon it. Well, God certainly enabled the Philistines to take the Ark of the Covenant. They took possession of it and took it to their land. And little did they know that it was going to open up everything you ever witnessed and more in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've ever watched that movie where the whole chase through the movie was for the Ark of the Covenant, and upon finding it and opening it, it turned out to be this incredible uh, celestial scene. Well, for the Philistines, They didn't open the Ark of the Covenant, they had respect for it at least to that degree. They did not pillage or take anything out of the Ark of the Covenant, they just took the possession of it. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, we know where the tables of stone written by the finger of God, the golden bowl with manna and Aaron's rod that budded. It was the Ark of the Covenant and it was a portrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a picture of him And, you know, we can't emphasize that enough. It's such a beautiful picture if you think about it. You know, it was made of shidem wood overlaid with pure gold, which depicts the divinity of Christ and his humanity as God incarnate in the flesh. It's a picture of his divineness featured in the gold and his humanity featured in the wood. And the solid gold lid called the mercy seat Where the cherub, the cherubims, had rose up above it, facing one another with their wings enfolding, and this was the place where God dwelt and met with the people of Israel, and made His glory known not only to His people but to the enemies of His people. In fact, the enemies, in many cases, were impacted more by his glory and presence then israel was impacted they feared they quaked they knew that the god of israel was a serious god and a major contender in war in fact an impossibility to conquer the enemies of israel recognized the glory of god rose Above the tabernacle in the wilderness and rising above the mercy seat. and Jesus Christ our Lord is indeed our mercy seat. The mercy that we have and the sure mercies of David of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mercy that he's extended to his people, if it were not for that mercy we would have been consumed. If there was such a thing as annihilation, we would have been annihilated. Turn to powder. Turn to dust. God in his mercy. sees us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished works. When God looks upon you and he looks upon me, he's looking through the finished works of the Lord Jesus Christ, our advocate our mediator, our great high priest, and he sees us as he sees his only begotten son. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Amen. It is the mercy of God. Amen. The reason that nations are not completely devastated and destroyed is because of the mercy of God Amen. because of the elect people that are sprinkled among the population, my brethren. Amen. And I'll tell you, the elect population believing and pursuing and pressing into the kingdom of God creates a significant impact upon communities all across this great land. Always. If we only understood the power that this little congregation represents in this region, in this state, we would marvel. God's providential hands of blessing has bestowed upon our communities as a result of the existence of His bride. His love. His dove. His undefiled in the eyes of the Father. You see, my brethren, we have been so blessed, and that Ark of the Covenant is a betrayal of so many things, and we could spend the rest of our lives attempting to understand, grasp, and preach the subjects contained therein, and the half has never yet been told, just as it was when the queen of Sheba went to visit Solomon, inquiring of his wisdom, saying and confessing, the half has never yet been told. Oh, the wisdom of Solomon, which is the wisdom of God. You have no wisdom. I have no wisdom outside of that wisdom, which comes from above, Amen. which is a gift of God coming from the God of heaven and the giver of gifts, the one with whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. That's so powerful. When you think about that, there are no shadows in heaven. There's no variableness in heaven. There's no turning or changing in heaven. God's Covenant and promises are sure, yea, and amen. They're not as it is with us. There is no maybe in heaven. There is no chance in heaven. It is sure and amen. Oh, brethren, we are so blessed to have this understanding and have God reveal it to us. It's one thing to have God reveal it, it's another for him to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it. God must be at work on all angles and in every respect in order for his people to have comprehension and to be partakers of the glory of God. And I trust we're partaking of his glory this morning. And you know, whenever the Philistines ended up with the Ark of the Covenant, the first thing they did was they carried it to the temple of their god, and his name was Dagon. And I understand that Dagon was a god of the grain, a god of the harvest. And if you read some of the historical accounts of Dagon, you'll find that Dagon was a fish. A fish with a man's head and a man's hands. So it was as if he had a fish's body to the point of a man's navel and the body of a man to the crown of his head. And Dagon, once again, was the god of grain, the god of the harvest and the abundance for the Philistines. Their diviners and their prophets would go and offer grain to Dagon. Have you ever been to an Asian restaurant and noticed out of the corner of your eye a little Buddha in the corner? I, I marvel at that, actually. And each day, offerings adorn Buddha. Sometimes there are orange peels. Sometimes there are other little things, coins, that are offered to Buddha in a little corner in the restaurants in some places. Kind of interesting. Along the same lines as the Philistines offering grain and other artifacts, and in this case, they offered the Ark of the Covenant of the people of God to Dagon, taking it into the temple of Dagon. Some suppose that the intent of taking it into the temple of Dagon was that it would reverence their God. They looked at it as an inanimate object. They didn't view it as the place where God appeared to Israel, where the glory of God was represented, and it was symbolic of one that would come to save even people among their tribes. God had a people out of every kindred tongue and people, and there were people among the Philistines that were saved by the one that the ark represented, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Leaders throughout all the land, people throughout all the land, people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet they took the Ark of the Covenant, placing it into the temple of Dagon. Some supposed that it would reverence Dagon. God forbid. God forbid. There's a text that came to mind this morning. And I'll I'll share it with you over here in in Isaiah. And it speaks of God and how God is a jealous God. Listen to this. Chapter 42, verse 8. Isaiah, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. God's not going to bow down before any graven image. He's not going to give his praise to another. Why? Because I am the Lord. That is my name. No one else has that name. He's the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob he is the I am as spoken from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ chain claiming the title I am that's his name he's not giving his praise to another <laughs> I'll tell you, he's not, and my glory will I not give to another, and neither give, or uh, neither my praise to graven images. So here we have the Philistines. We'll read some more. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So Dagon was paying homage and praise to the ark of the covenant falling upon his face prostrate. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon, and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold, only the stump of Dagon was left to him. So notice, Dagon was obviously helpless. He was of no help. He was no assistance to the Philistines. In fact, he could not stand in the presence of God's glory, fell flat on his face. And not only so, God took it a step further on day two, didn't he? He showed that there was no knowledge, no wisdom, no benefit or intellect from this rock. His head was gone, removed from the carcass of the rock. That his hands were shortened and could provide no assistance whatsoever to the people of of the Philistines because his hands were removed. So with no head, no hands, he was of no use. And the people and the diviners and the prophets of the Philistines entered no more through the threshold of that temple for the purpose of worshiping Dagon. I'll tell you, brethren, we worship the true and living God who doesn't give his glory to another nor his praise to graven images. Oh, I'll tell you what. And the worship of the Lord, he takes a whole lot more seriously than we do. We can see how the Lord took serious his glory and would not give it to another, nor his praise to graven images because the people of Philistine, the men particularly, were stricken with a pestilence from mice. We've had a pestilence of mice in our basement, but nothing like this pestilence. I'm sure as we might look into the sky this time of year and see the blackbirds flying off or occupying a field, and the field turning black with just the sheer number of birds that it would be consistent with the way the fields of the Philistines looked as they were covered with mice. Mice getting into their homes, into their bedrooms, into their pillows, into their kitchens, into their coffers, every aspect of their of their communities being infested by mice. And what was it that was completely and totally destroyed by the pestilence of mice it was what Dagon represented that they paid homage and worship to Dagon for the grain the grain was completely consumed by the mice and not only so which that affected every man, woman and child of the Philistines in all five of their providences But in addition to that, God sent another curse upon the men. The scripture speaks of it as being emroids, And it was a rare form of the ailment. In fact, some historians believe that it was the equivalent of malignant tumors. You know, a malignant tumor has a tendency to bleed, and the bleeding is difficult, if not impossible, to stop. And these individuals were stricken and were dying because they took the Ark of God unauthorized and put it into the temple of Dagon and... Had the complete and total wrong idea about the Ark of the Covenant. So you could see how God takes his glory seriously, and how God will not give his glory to another. He won't do it. Or his praise to graven images. Then they began to toss the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Israel between the different provinces or cities and each time it would come into a new city (laughs) the pestilences and the plagues, if you will accelerated and became more compounded and worse to the point where the Philistines were saying get this thing out of here get it away from us so they go to the diviners and the prophets and they inquire as to how they can get rid of this thing. The diviners and prophets told them to build a brand new cart, fresh new cart, because they at least had some insight into how this cart was transported, and there were no Levites on the scene to carry it upon their shoulders. So the best they could do was prepare a cart with their own hands. prepared a brand new cart to transport this Ark of the Covenant. In addition to that, the diviners instructed them to, to bring two kind, two cows, uncommon for the transport or for the yoke, and yoke the cows to transport the Ark and separate the calves from the cows." What's interesting about that, I've I found, is that I'm not, a, I'm not a husbandman, i don't not a rancher, but I do know that a mother cow is connected to her calf to the point of putting people in danger if they get in the wrong place at the wrong time. And here we have cattle yoked, calves put back to haul the ark on a new cart back to the people of Israel. Now, whenever you have a cow that has a calf, you have a a cow that is going to do everything in its power to get back to her offspring. And so to think that they expected the, this to make the journey. In fact, the diviners had noted that if it does make a straight line back to Israel, then we know that this is of the Lord. But if it does not make the straight line or turns around to come back to the calves, then we know it happened by chance, that this is all by chance, that maybe the planets were misaligned. And I'll tell you what, the Philistines worshiped everything earth, everything idolatrous. So it would have been something about the stars. It would have been something about some other deity of theirs that was upset with them. And that's what they called by chance. But if it made the straight line, then they knew it was of the God of Israel that brought the plagues upon them. Well, we read where we read where this uh, cart was hauled in the straight line. Estimated by once again historians to be about 12 miles. And the Philistines followed this thing for 12 miles as it was was going back to the people of Israel. And isn't it interesting how God works? Because the land that was closest and adjacent to the lands of the Philistines was the place occupied by the Levites, Now, did you know that the Levites were the ones authorized to touch, deal, handle, and care for the Ark of the Covenant? So God sends it to the appropriate tribe and the appropriate people to the appropriate place in a straight line by two cows who have abandoned their calves on a cart that was made by hand. So we read where the Ark arrived back to the people, that the people rejoiced. They rejoiced greatly. Keep in mind that the people that were witnessing this, right? There was only one that was able to see the Ark of the Covenant, and that was one time of year inside of a place called the Holiest of Holies. So the people that were laying eyes upon the Ark had never seen the sight before. Because oh, it was a privilege that belonged only to the great high priest on the day of atonement. So here now is the ark of the Lord being hauled in the very presence of God's people. And you could see why they were rejoicing. They were in awe. And they had determined to take the ark. And there was a great stone there. And on the great stone they considered it to be an altar. So they, they they took the cart and they burned it there and they offered up the cattle as an offering unto the Lord and thanksgiving unto the Lord. Later, the unauthorized individuals who had possession of the ark among the people of Israel at this point in time, which, by the way, was for a period of about 20 years, I believe, if... if if the number is, is, is accurate. And once again, a lot of those numbers, God knows, they're not really important, but the Ark of the Covenant, since the temple or the tabernacle had been destroyed, there was no place for it. It ended up in the king's house, his son giving charge of it, right? But for 20 years, it was in the wrong place, in the wrong hands. But God, in His mercy, extended mercy, to the people of Israel, even so. But before the Ark of the Covenant was, was transported to the house of the king. Right? And if I knew the name off the top of my head, I would tell you what it is. But rather than chasing it down, it's right here. Abinadab. There you go. To his house. There were people that had possession of it prior to that. That took a peek inside. They took a peek inside the Ark of the Covenant and you remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark and what happened when they opened the Ark of the Covenant? You remember that? Well, there's, there are different accounts and when I say historians, jo- Josephus is one of them and there are other historians of Jewish antiquities. The scripture is our only rule of faith and practice. Sometimes, however, History can help us fill in the blanks. But we read here that there were 50,000 that were affected as a result. Some suppose that the 50,000 were the Philistines. But here, when they opened the Ark of the Covenant, there was a great lightning bolt that came out of heaven. 50,000, according to the language, lost their lives. I think it was 50,070, lost their lives for peeking inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And this reminds me of the time whenever Moses was able to see the glory of God. When God put him in the cleft of the rock, covered him by his hand and passed by him and Moses was able to see his glory but he could not look upon god and live and the men who opened the ark of the covenant even though it was not god but representative of, of the glory of god and the finished works of jesus christ looked upon it and could not live <clears throat> so what what was the cause of all this anyway how, how did all of this happen in the first place? How did the children of Israel lose in battle, flee from Philistine, and the Ark of the Covenant end up in the, hand, in the wrong hands in the first place? Well, the, the, the reason this happened is because of the people of Israel had followed after false deities and false gods and had forsaken the God of heaven and earth. In fact... You know, the the tabernacle had been destroyed. The place where the ark was kept. Samuel the prophet is involved. The people of Israel begin to have a repentant heart. All of a sudden, it took all of this in order to get their attention. How much does it take to get our attention? It took all of this, 50,070 people losing their lives, looking at the, (laughs) the offerings that came along with the tabernacle in the cart, which was a coffer containing five golden mice and five images of malignant tumors offered to the people of Israel as a trespass offering from the Philistines. All of these different things that were unfolding before their very eyes. Well, because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, because of following after false gods, because of not taking the God of heaven who had delivered them time and time again seriously, they ended up more or less in a captivity of sin and idolatry. But they end up with a repentance, with a penitent heart. They inquire of Samuel and they're asking him to intercede on their behalf. Samuel begins to pray to God night and day, offers up a young lamb to God on behalf of the people of Israel. God hears, he hears the prayers and the requests of Samuel. And while this is happening, the Philistines are flanking Israel again. Here comes the enemy flanking them while Samuel is praying. Sitting ducks, the people of God, sitting ducks, the people of Israel, Philistine like a field of grasshoppers coming upon them. Samuel praying, God hearing the prayer, impeccable timing, sends a sonic boom from heaven. Scripture calls it a loud thunder. And the people of Philistine, the soldiers flee for their lives. Israel is delivered from the hand of the enemy. God delivers them with thunder, thunder from heaven. You know, Nikola Tesla invented some weapons that are still a mystery. Supposedly, he invented weapons that can control the weather patterns. And supposedly, there was one of those machines up in Alaska somewhere. (laughs) The use of magnetism, sound waves, and other things. In fact, if you recall, the embassy in Cuba, where all of the People, ambassadors, and staffers fell ill because of some mysterious sound and vibration that was being projected upon the embassy. Remember that? Sound is a huge weapon. God used thunder here against the people of Philistine. They fled. Israel experienced a revival of sorts. But it wasn't until David that a place for the Ark of the Covenant began to move forward, if you will. But it was under Solomon's reign, King David's son, that an appropriate place for the Ark of the Covenant was constructed. You can see, my brethren, that God works on his own timetables. And we might Expect God to work more quickly. After all, we are the microwave generation. Most of the most of the young people in the congregation this morning have never lived without a microwave. But I remember when we had our first microwave. I do too. Yeah. I remember it well. Yeah, I do too. It was magical. You could cook bacon in 5 minutes. I mean, and we ate bacon every day. It was crazy. We're the microwave generation and we expect things to happen overnight. We expect this coronavirus just to be abated like that. Brethren, it could be three to five years that this thing lingers. But then again, if God, if there is a Samuel that is offering living sacrifices, if the people of God are offering living sacrifices unto God, he can abate it like that. He could send thunder and it could be destroyed. God is able to destroy it. And we ought to be praying that God would do so, that he would be glorified, that he would be honored by not only the people of God, but by the enemies of God. Just like the Philistines in some respect gave him honor, following the cart for 12 miles to see if it was him that was at work. There was honor to God a respect, a reverential fear. But it took some (laughs) epic events to bring him to that point. So I'll tell you, God will not share or give his glory to another, nor his praise to graven images. It doesn't tolerate that. Now I want to look at it from this perspective and we'll bring our thoughts to a close we'll just take a second. And that is, whenever God's people would present themselves at the altar of God in expectation of earning eternal life, it's no different than the Philistines offering golden mice or images of malignant tumors. You see, brethren, we have nothing to offer God. But God has imputed to us his righteousness. Salvation is of the Lord. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is is all we can do, all we can present. Our bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. What would happen if the people of God simultaneously forsook the graven images? The grave and images of materialism, the graven images of humanism and all of the other isms out there. What would happen if the people of God were brought to that point of repentance? You think about the revival that would take place. You think about the thunder that would come from heaven causing the enemies to flee and the great blessings poured out from the windows of heaven that could not be contained. I'll tell you, brethren, God has promised never to leave nor forsake us. But there is a contingency attached to that. And that is the belief of his people. We must believe that he is the deliverer. And he will deliver us. We appreciate your very kind attention. Very interesting read. 1 Samuel chapter 5, 6, 7. Only take a few minutes. I'm sure there are things that I've left out and there may have been references that have been a little inaccurate. Cast a mantle of charity over me. We love you. We appreciate you. And let's press into the kingdom of God together.